0: Thank you for being here. My name is Moises. If you don't know me and we haven't met, I would love to meet you on the way out today. Um, today, we start a new sermon series titled The Promise. And uh, f- of course, it's a, it's a special week because today is Palm Sunday. Um, it's what we call the beginning of, of Holy Week or what is known to be as Passion Week. Um, that name passion comes from the events and the actions taken by Jesus as he as he went to the cross and pay for our sins. Something that Sal was referring to as we took communion um, and some of the most memorable teachings of Jesus actually happened during this week. Um, and today marks the beginning of that. It's called Palm Sunday. It is known as the day where Jesus makes his triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. We're going to be diving into some of the things that it says there, but I want us to focus on the fact that today there's a prob- prophecy according to these events that gets fulfilled according to Zachariah chapter 9 verse 9. Now I'm going to jump right into it. Um, the verses are going to be up in the, on, the, on the screen. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to be quoting a lot of Scripture. We're going to be in Luke, and we're going to be in Zechariah. Let's read that verse, verse 9 to verse, I mean, chapter 9, verse 9 in Zechariah. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Zechariah makes a unique transition here, and I want us not to miss it, okay? According to the prophetical law of suggestion, this coming king was supposed to look a certain way and be a certain way, and Zechariah makes this interesting description here, and it looks very much different from what people anticipated it to be. He is coming not... For his own gain and purpose, like any other king would come to the scene, but instead, he is directly coming for the sake of the people. It says, he is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble. It makes this event an, an extremely insightful because of the fulfillment of the prophecy, but also an event that is so misunderstood at the time. It was so misunderstood. Because a few days later, a few hours later, the same king they were celebrating ends up being called to be crucified and, 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 and persecuted, demanded that people demanded his crucifixion. hours later. We're going to dive into Luke chapter 19. So if you could turn there for, with me, and let's see how this story unfolds. Luke chapter 19, verse 28, we're going to read to verse 40 on this one, but we're going to we keep diving down even along the lines of verse like 44 or so. Um it says the Bible says, after telling this story, Jesus went on towards J- Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples, and he came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. He sends two disciples ahead, going into that village over there, he told them, As you enter it, you see a young donkey tied there. There's no one he- that that no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So he went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walk along, praising God for, the, for all the wonderful miracles he had seen, they had seen. Blessings on the king who is coming, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But very quickly, very quickly we see here, but some of the Pharisees among the crowds said, Teacher... Rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus replied and said, if they keep if they kept quiet, the stones along with the along the roads will burst in cheers. What an insightful event of such misunderstanding. It begins, it creates great insight because Jesus is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, according to verse thirty eight. He was the Messiah, the son of David, the long awaited ruler of Israel, the fulfillment of the God of God's promise, the fulfillment of that prophecy. But then the great misunderstanding is that he was supposed to enter in Jerusalem with all might and power and take the throne and make Israel free from Rome once and for all. But it wasn't going to be this way. He would take take the throne, but he would do it through a voluntary suffering and death and resurrection. Right? So Palm Sunday becomes this day of great insight, but yet again of great misunderstanding. The insight gave great joy to people. The misunderstanding brought about destruction. In the way Jesus was murdered a few days later in the destruction even of Jerusalem 40 years later. The funny thing about all this, not funny, it's a bad word to use. The interesting thing about all this is that our Savior saw it all coming. He was well aware of the events that were going to take place. Nothing would stop this event from happening. He knew it was going to happen in the way that it was going to happen. If they kept quiet, he said, the stones would burst out and cheer. I've always been a firm believer that if we don't do it, somebody's going to do it. If we don't praise them, somebody will praise them. And I, I tell people all the time, if, if you're not the person, God will find a stone to do it. Amen. I want this story today to serve as a reminder to us that many times our blindness, our hostility can have an effect in how we experience our savior and how we encounter the God that is here to save us. The God that is standing right in front of us, wanting to step into our situations personally and how our blindness and our hostility towards him could be getting in the way of us missing him in general. In this story, we see Jesus respond to this blindness and this hostility. As he is going up to Jerusalem, we very quickly see this thing unfolding in verse 38, when people say, blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But the very next verse, you hear the, the, the Pharisees say to Jesus, hey, tell your followers to quiet down. And Jesus was well aware what was about to take place. And it... It shocks me to think this way because, man, if we knew what the next step would look like, I wonder if we would even take it. It's just another concept to admire about our Savior. He was fully aware of what these steps were going to cost in his life, and he followed through with it. Nothing stopped him from happening. Nothing stopped it from happening. Nothing was going to surprise him during this time. And the truth is, nothing is going to surprise him in your life now. It wasn't a hidden secret. No, your life is not a hidden secret to God. Just like it wasn't then, just like it wasn't as he went to the cross to pay the final price for you and I. It's not a surprise to him now what you're going through and the things that we experience in our lives. I want to kind of highlight this today because he knew the Pharisees would get the upper hand on him. He knew the people were going to follow them. Eventually, as this thing arose, he knew this was going to happen. This will later cause Jesus to be rejected and crucified. Not only that, but within a few generations, the entire temple was going to be destroyed. He talks about it in verse 43 and 44. He says, before long, your enemies will build rampart against your walls and encircle you and enclose you in from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. You know, how sad. What a sad moment. I think if if we were to ask around the room right now and I ask for a show of hands, have you ever missed God when he was standing right in front of you? If, If God ever visited, could there be a time in our lives where our distractions Our problems were so overwhelming that we completely missed them. What a sad moment. The people completely missed the one thing that they needed most. John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. They didn't know their time of their visitation. The rock of their salvation was missed. Jesus right before their very eyes and they saw it pass by and didn't even realize who was standing right in front of them. You may ask why exactly? That's the question. Why do we miss Jesus? What causes, what events take place in our lives that cause us to miss the rock of our salvation that is standing right in front of us? What takes precedent? Many times we end up mistaking God's silence for distance. And we think that he's not around because we don't hear of him, but he's there. He knows every step that you're going through. Can I encourage you today to tell you Jesus is right there. He's right here. See, we we say that, but we don't believe it. One of the, you know, you you, you think this could, this would cause Jesus to be mad or upset that that he is now dealing with this blindness of the people. But in, in verse in verse 41 and 42, and this is where, where I really want to zone in this message, and what, what, what I want to highlight is that he he says, verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem, and he saw the city, go ahead. He began to weep. He began to weep. So here's J- Jesus on this donkey, and as he sees Jerusalem, he starts to cry. And he says, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. So we have our Savior crying as he approaches a situation that hasn't happened yet. As we paint this picture today, you know, it it, it brings about this idea that What can possibly be getting in the way of us missing our visit, the visitation from God? past experiences, unmet expectations? Is this something negative someone said to you or about God? But our experience, our expectation of Jesus may be something that is doubtful because he knows one of the things I want to highlight this morning is that he is fully sovereign and fully merciful. And one of the reasons why he cries is because he knew what was about to happen and he still acted upon mercy. Amen. Our perception of him may be negative. Our friend may have a, a negative perception of Jesus, but that may be the very problem that we're facing. Our, our biggest challenge, guys, is God's sovereignty. Is because how in the world does he know? How in the world does he control it? How in the world is he involved in it fully, and I'm going through what I'm going through? Or this person is going through what they're going through? It's a constant concern for is he really that nice of a God? We see Jesus facing the cross, going to Jerusalem in this concept, in this walk, in this journey that he begins and he starts to weep. And I understand that there's circumstances out of our control, but in our lives, we're going to have to shift our perspective, our perception of things, you know? You know, one thing you can't control a lot of times is your circumstances, but you can't control how you perceive the moment. All right? So, so instead of focusing so much on changing your circumstances in your life, you just change your perception. When we say things like, trust God, trust in him, he's gonna come, he's gonna be involved. You're gonna say, am I supposed to be lying to myself? No, I'm asking you to have faith in the God that is capable of everything. That's what we stand up on. That's what we're affirmed upon. You can't control your circumstances. That's up to God. But we can tell ourselves, my God is for my good. Therefore, I'm going to trust in him. And no matter what I'm going through, I'm not going to miss my visitation. He is right here, right now, doing something. Sovereignty. Sovereignty. Listen, friends, Jesus is unique. You, You have never encountered anything like it. You can't humanize it. You, 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 can't, you can't make him your, he is matchless. You can't compare to any other relationship you ever, you, you've ever had. He unites things within himself that, that no other person can. It would be contrary to one another. He is both sovereign and merciful. That is why he, he randomly cries in scripture because he feels the rejection coming. Because he sees the doubt creeping up. Because he sees the actions that are getting ready to take place in people's lives. Friends, fairness vanishes when Jesus comes into the picture. He, 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 he crushed it. Fairness, what is just, what is right. What, what's fair for me and you. He van- it vanishes in front of Jesus. Jesus. This is the guy that knows I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be crucified. And he begins to cry, not for his suffering, but for the people, for their hearts. As people are praising him, he's weeping. Could you imagine? Here's our Lord, our King, and you see him crying up there. You're like, what's going on? Jesus combines the perfect portion of merciful sovereignty and sovereign mercy. We have never, ever seen anything like this. You have problems with Jesus' sovereignty. We tend to struggle with that. It's hard for us to comprehend. But when you combine it with his mercy, it becomes very easy to understand. It is remarkable that the tears of Jesus in verse 41 get misunderstood as if the will of people trumped the plan of Jesus. He is crying because it's messed up. He wanted the people to be saved and they rejected him. And they think that the tears of Jesus in this verse is meant meant to represent some kind of failure from God. Like his plan got trumped because of the people. But instead, it was the purpose of God developing right before his eyes. It was the plan of God taking action. You know, it, 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 when you look at this verse and say, well, why, why would Jesus be weeping like this? He, he had power to do it all. And, and that's our questioning of God that gets us in trouble with our lives personally. And even when we're talking to other people about their lives and the things that they face in their personal lives. There's something not quite right about that objection. Because it contradicts the sovereignty of Jesus. It says that he can make those rocks praise him. So if there's a heart that is hard, he could turn that one too. And he can make that come to life. All this rejection and persecution and killing of Jesus is not the failure of his plan, but the fulfillment of it. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 31 to, to 33. It says, taking the 12 disciples aside, listen what he said, prior moments to this event taking place. He tells his disciples, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be headed, handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. That was the plan. The betrayal, the mockery, the shame, the spit, the flogging, the murder—it was all planned. It was part of our process. It's what you, you and I should have been doing. Should have been done to us. We should have experienced all that. But Jesus instead takes our place. In other words, the resistance, the rejection, the unbelief, the hostility—we're not a surprise to Jesus. It was the plan. Verse 42 is kind of shocking to me because it says, but now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. I I never want to be in a position where God rejects me. (laughs) Or not that he would. I'm just saying we read the verse. It's too late. You know, I don't want peace to be hidden from my eyes where I don't see it. It's almost like God is handing them over to judgment. In the parable, in Luke chapter 8, verse 10, it says, he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach others so that the scriptures might, might be fulfilled. When they looked, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. I never want to be in a position where God blinds me. Or I've been so stubborn in my life. Not that he would, guys. I'm just saying I never want to put myself in a position where my disobedience towards God and my blindness towards God becomes so heavy that I don't see him act in my life. I had one of the most weird experiences happen to me years ago. I was a youth pastor and I'm walking down the the grocery store with my cart and I see a youth uh, a kid from my youth group that I hadn't seen in years. Okay, now I'm always asking God God make me receptive to your voice. Help me to be tender to your spirit. So when you speak to me, I'm able to receive it. I, I want to I have this, this thing about me that, that when you're trying to tell me to do something, I don't want to miss that moment. And I'm walking down the, 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 the grocery aisle, and I see the kid, right? And I do what, what, what my awkward self does in public every time I avoid people I know. <laughs> That's a little bit about myself there. No, I'm just kidding. I won't avoid you in public, I promise. You were trying to avoid me. No, just, um, so now I see the kid, and I'm like, oh, there's that kid. He looks, he hasn't been in my youth group in, in, in months, okay? Looks destroyed. Guy looks like he's having a tough time. He, he doesn't look right. I don't know. He, he, he looked different, all right? And I'm, I'm going to the next eye. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. I haven't seen him in a while, you know? And I go the other way, and God says, go talk to him. Go, right now, go talk to him. I'm like, you know, I'm walking down this aisle, like, God, it's kind of awkward. He's a teenager, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's going to be so cliche, like, hey, your pastor is here, you know, like. I'm like, God, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. And he go, go talk to him, go talk to him. Man, and, and I go up to him, and I don't know what to say. I, su- I said, hey, man, how you been? Like, I miss you. And he starts crying in the middle of the grocery aisle. You know what I'm saying? And he starts crying, just like bawling out of control right in front of me. And all I said is, how are you? We miss you. And he's just losing it. We have this moment and it's like a food lion, okay? I'm in some random grocery aisle. I'm like, oh man, they're gonna kick me out of here. You know? And I'm having this moment with him and I'm being receptive to God. And God says to me, Never has it ever happened in my life before. He says to me, okay, leave. The kid is in tears. I'm like, you know, I'm thinking next is like, you want to come to my house? And like, we could talk, like, call me. No. I'll be praying for you. And then I just, and he's, I leave this kid just bawling out of control in the middle of a grocery store. And I feel, and you may think, you're crazy. God never said that. That's what I felt in the moment, okay? God said, walk away. And I literally sit there like, but, but he, okay. Good to see you. And you would think that's the weirdest thing that you can do, but we have to understand that we're operating under the rule of a sovereign God that is in control more than we are. He doesn't need our help. That sounds tough, right? He says, in fact, if you're not willing to comply with this plan, I'll make the rocks cry out. So you want to jump in and help me out and be part of this journey with me? It's a privilege to do so. God was handing these people over to hardness and judgment. We experience this sovereignty day in and day out, and this may be the biggest obstacle we face face with our faith today because we want to see things operate a particular way, a certain way, we want God to act when we think he should be acting, but when he doesn't, our faith stumbles and hurts, and we have a hard time understanding his sovereignty. You may not believe this about yourself, but we admire power more when it's merciful power, and we admire mercy more when it's mighty mercy. A good way to explain your sovereignty God's sovereignty in your life personally is to understand that there's a mercy behind it. You're like, there's no mercy in this. The kid died or whatever the scenario may be. How can there be mercy? It's a sovereign God operating in mercy. You don't know how, when, how it goes about, but we tend to look at our lives um our long life experiences with God, or experiences that others tend to have with God, and we, we, we guess that there's some level of care that God is missing. Like, how could God possibly let this happen? How can we always ask the questions, why do bad things happen to good people? A, when you start a sermon series and you say, we're going to talk about questions of God, the first sermon is like, why do bad things happen to good people? Because we're dealing with a sovereign God that knows it all. Friends, we are just standing in the parade watching the floats come by. We're like, oh, there's a big one coming. All right? And we see it, and it disappears. God is on the top, looking at how the parade begins and how the parade ends. We're just bystanders. We're waiting to see what the next thing that is going to take place, but that doesn't account for the fact that there's a sovereign God fully involved, fully operating in faith, in mercy, in love. None of those things get taken away, no matter how hard and difficult the world gets. There is a Savior going to Jerusalem, knowing that he's getting ready to get spit on and and beat on, and he still cries and weeps and follows through with the journey. Not because he was afraid, but because there were people that needed it. And there was a world... That needed him to follow through. You know, in today's context, I want to kind of highlight a few a few things. There, there, there are three ways that we could be drawn through this story um, to, to understand this merciful, mercifulness of Jesus, even in this in his sovereignty. And number one is in, in order to understand this sovereignty is number one, his mercy is, is tenderly moving. It constantly it moves. Jesus feels the sorrow of a situation. Can I tell you that again? Jesus feels the sorrow of your situation. This doesn't mean that he's destroyed by our will. It only means that he's more emotionally involved than you think he is. You would think, what would a sovereign God have anything to do with riding on a donkey and crying over what he knows is going to happen? Exactly. It's, com- it's complex. It's complicated. It's complicated. He is more emotionally involved in our lives than we give him credit for. You may think that the things that you go through, Jesus is not here right now. That's kind of, no, 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 he is. It's sad because I I hear people talk about the devil and talk about God, right? And although God is omnipresent, so he's everywhere, and, and the devil isn't, we give more credit to the devil being present than we give to God. You heard it? The devil's trying to take me down. The devil's holding me back. Not today, Satan. Right? <laughs> Knowing that he can't be everywhere at all times. It is kind of arrogant, actually, in fact. When we say that God is in waxaw at my house, in the kitchen, trying to make sure I don't get this meal out like I want it. You know, like the, the devil, I mean, the devil. The devil is right here with me, trying to mess with me. And we, we bring the devil into situations. Listen, friends, I never want to talk to the devil. You hear pastors all the time like, listen to me, devil. That's not not me. I have nothing to say to that thing. Man, whatever it is. Seriously, if I'm going to spend any ounce of my breath, it's going to be talking to my God. No matter what the difficulty of the moment is, he has been defeated. The devil has been defeated. The job ends there. He could torment me all he wants, but I'm going to constantly look to the light. I always use the illustration of the shadow and the light. You follow me? What happens when we stare at light? The shadow gets behind us. You see what I'm saying? What happens when you look at the shadow? You're not looking at the light. And You're like "But Moises, my shadow is really big. Yeah, and it's going to get bigger if you don't look at the light. You have to take some time in your life to say, it is time for me to look at the light. Man, but the more I look at the light, the bigger my past and my shadow gets and the difficulties behind me. Yeah, it's going to happen that way. But if I sit here and stare at it and stare at it, that becomes my God. God is so involved in sovereignty in your life and all he's asking you to do is come to me. Look at me. It's tough, I know, it's tough. He's weeping with you. He feels sorrow for the situation. No doubt that there's an inner peace inside of all of us knowing that God is in control, but Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 4 says, for everything there's a season. A time for every activity under the heaven. It says in verse 4, it says a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. And we're not going to dance. I'm not going to dance right now, but you get what I'm saying? I would even be bold enough to ask you, and of course, this is biased for me coming, because I'm, I'm a crier, right? I would even ask you and challenge you, To ask God for some tears so some of the most personal experiences I've had with my God personally have come through an experience where I'm crying where God has talked to me or he's talked to the person that I'm interacting with through my wife through myself myself it involves tears most of my personal moments with God I spend with God in tears It's like a foreseeing of his plan and mercy over our lives. And then I'll ask you this. How how do you feel about the suffering going on around you? Maybe you're not personally dealing with anything, but how do you feel about what you're personally dealing with? That's not a question of what did you experience or what did you witness? It's how did you feel about it? How tender are you to the overall plan of God in every situation? You know, one of the things that we have to be careful with is that, you know, Jesus could have been in the back of that in the back of that donkey, riding to Jerusalem, and as soon as he would have start foreseeing what was getting ready to take place, he could have very quickly got angry, and said, "Man, these people—they don't get it. They're not going to get it. What would I do? This? You're going to turn right back around." You know, the Bible actually speaks of the fact that our hearts get hardened because of the evil we experience. We have to be careful that we don't allow the things that happen around us to harden our hearts to the point where we miss our visitation. God could be right in front of you, stepping up, visiting. And because of your experiences, because of the person who let you down, because of the exposure you had to a situation, you allow that that feeling to come in and do things that God never intended you, for you to experience. Jesus felt enough compassion for Jerusalem that he, it caused him to weep for them. So I would say just, just repent of that hardness in our hearts and ask God to give us a heart that is tenderly moved by him. Number two, real quickly, his mercy is self-denying. Not ultimately, there was a great reward in the long run, but it was very painful in the short run. This text shows us that our Savior is moving intentionally towards suffering and death. Jesus is entering Jerusalem to die. As he said in verse 31, I, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered up and they will kill him. He knows this is about to happen. This is the meaning of self-denial. This is the way we follow Jesus. You know, because Jesus sees a need and he goes towards it. We ought to be like him. He goes towards the, 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 the lost world, the, the broken bodies, the people dealing with sickness and, and the, the, the misery. He, he, he knows that there's a hell that he needs to help people from. And, 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 and we move, we have to move. He moves at that cost. When he sees a need, he goes after it. He embraces it. There there weren't tears of a man dealing with an emotional depression. There were tears of a man heading towards a need, towards a need. You know, I I, I love that um, um, there's a saying that says, you know, if, if you're having a hard time finding yourself, lose yourself in the service to others. If you're having a hard time finding yourself, lose yourself in the service to others. In other words, if you don't know what to do, just help somebody. And your purpose instantly becomes fulfilled. It's such a backwards approach, right? When we want things better from God, we want him to step in. We want him to do something amazing. He says, yeah, go, st- go towards the need and help somebody else out. I got you. And you're like, no, but I was asking for me. I, I needed you to help me. No, no, it's okay. Just just don't worry about that. I got that. Go go deal with this other person that needs you, you know? And this leads me to my last point is that his mercy intends to help, always intends to help. First, it, it- it's... It- you know, he, he, he's first tenderly moved. Second, he's self-denying towards a need. And third, we see that his mercy is meant to help. Mercy is helpful. It's not just a feeling. Mercy is helpful. It's not just a feeling. It's, it's an action. It, it doesn't just feel, though it does feel. It doesn't just deny itself, though it does deny itself. It actually does things that help others. Jesus was dying in our place that we may be forgiven to have eternal life with him. This is how he helped. How are we expressing our mercy towards others? What are you and I doing? How do we feel about the tragedies happening in our nation? Is that making our hearts harden? Are we indifferent about it or do we weep and suffer for it? even though it might have not had a direct impact on our lives today. You know, we, this life is going to require us sometimes to move towards pain and suffering. You know, to make hard decisions in our lives that that are going to require a lot from us. I love what, what Romans says, and I'll leave you with this verse here. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, it says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Completely to God. For you were dead. But now you have new life. Use your whole body all of your life the doubtful parts of it the insecure parts of it the the confident parts of it all your life to do what is right for the glory of God listen the point of the matter is friends that every day you live is controlled by something every single decision you take is controlled by something ego, expectations, fear, guilt you name it Freedom comes when we choose what is going to control us. When you choose Jesus to be in control of your life, when you are mastered by the master, you can master everything. Listen, I'm telling you right now, if God is not number one, something else is. And that's the simple reality for all of us sitting here today. There was a God, a king that cares so much that even though he was weeping, he kept going. And in his sovereignty, he followed through with mercy. And he's doing the same thing for our lives. Through our failures, our sinful actions, God may be in heaven weeping with us through our difficult situations, but he's still following through in mercy. People ask me, Moses, why do you cry so much? Because I don't deserve it. Because I'm in front of a mirror constantly looking at myself saying, who, why? Why would you pick somebody else? You know, the evidence song shows us an understanding of how good God has been over our lives. God gives us the option to either depend on him, depend on, on him or depend on ourselves. A decision is either going to result in freedom or result in frustration. You're like, man, but I, I just don't get how he operates. It's okay. That doesn't mean you can't have faith in him. I want you to stand with me real quick as we wrap this up. Give yourselves completely to God. What a simple element was so hard to do, right? Why, why not give it all to Christ? What do we have to lose? What can we possibly have to lose? Control? I don't want control. I personally would rather God pick me up and take me wherever he wanted me to go, make me say the things that I want to say, make me think what he wants me to think. <laughs> Turn me into a robot, God, Please. I'm my biggest obstacle, aren't you? Listen, friends, you can't see Jesus showing up as a threat because of his sovereignty. Jesus doesn't show up to destroy your life. He actually shows up to restore it. He's not a threat because of his sovereignty. He's a blessing because of his mercy. You know it. I want to give anybody in the room the opportunity as we bow our heads this morning, real quickly. I want to give people the opportunity. If you haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is so much mercy in this room for you. There is a weeping God looking at the outcome of everything saying, I'm here for you. So right there where you're at, lift your hand and say, God, I need you. If this is you right here, everybody's got their eyes closed, their heads bowed, lift your hand and say, God, I need this more than anything. We want to give you the opportunity to give yourself completely to God this morning. If not you, then maybe you're that person that said, I had a really good relationship with God. And because of the difficulties of life, my heart is heartened. It's not that I don't believe in him. It's just that it's difficult. It's been tough. This is your opportunity. Would you give yourself completely to God this morning? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you're at. I'm doing this in faith. I see that hand. I see that hand, praise God, there's room, there's mercy, there's sovereignty, thank you God, Jesus, just a little longer, for any hearts in the room that may need it, I don't want to let this moment pass you by, there's a God full of sovereignty in this room and full of mercy for us this morning, weeping for the journey. I want everyone to raise their hands in the room. Right now, everyone. There are two individuals in here that have said, God, replenish this heart. Encounter me once more. And we're going to pray for them. In this very moment, Believing in faith that God can do something powerful. You ready? Here we go. Heavenly Father, Lord, you hear the prayer of your people. In this moment, God, will you transform, change? We know you're here. We know you're here, God. So would you please touch the hearts of those who raised their hands? Lord, I pray that you would bring it into relationship with you for their boldness to say, I need you, God. If life has been difficult, Jesus, it was harder for you. Thank you for following through in your plans. Thank you for foreseeing the rejection of your people and weeping your way through it. Thank you, God, because we needed your intervention more than ever, and we do still to this day. Help us, God, for our eyes to be wide open, our minds to be wide open, our hearts to be wide open, so we don't miss the moment of your visitation. We need it more than ever, Jesus. This nation needs it more than ever. This people need it more than ever. I thank you, God, for what you're doing, for what you did, and for what you're going to continue to do in our future. We love you, God, and we give you praise. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Give God praise this morning.